0: Good morning, all. My name is Rochelle. My name is Ben. And we have the privilege and honor to lead um, the Advent reading tonight. We are both involved in the young adults community at River West, and we are so thankful to be here today. Um, please join us in Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 6. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding
1: Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Now let's take a second and respond with this reading. Let's read it aloud on the screen. O root of Jesse, standing as a sign among the peoples, Before you, kings will shut their mouths. To you, the nations will make their prayer. Come and deliver us and delay no longer. And so this morning we're going to light the candle of hope as we stand with Israel in awaiting the Messiah to come, but also the hope for his returning and redemption of all things.
0: Uh, excited to open God's Word with you today. In fact, if you need a Bible, just go ahead and raise your hand. Somebody here somewhere will give you one of those. It feels like it's okay to say Merry Christmas. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Merry Christmas. Okay. We're gonna do it anyways. Uh, I love, I love this season. I love the movies, even the bad ones. I love the music. Uh, it, it's like usually in mid-October that my wife Anne-Marie and I will be in the, the kitchen doing dishes or something and she'll look at me with love in her eyes and say, Alexa, play Christmas by Michael Buble. And it's like, that's when Advent starts in our house. It's not like a Sunday in December, it's, it's a Wednesday in October. So we love the whole thing, and you know, as, as parents of small kids, we we want to keep the whole thing big, right? It's big. Everything's big. Everything's big during Christmas time, we, and 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 so we we want the traditions to be big. We want the presents to be great. We want everything to be big. And and I was thinking this week, even in, as Christians, when we sing about Christmas, it's always big, right? Joy to the world. Peace on earth. Glory to God in the highest. These big, huge statements that we make, and, 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 and it's amazing. And even the big things that are just traditions in, in our families that we love, all of that is wonderful. But I, f- I think that sometimes in the midst of, of all the big in Christmas, that we, we can actually forget that the Advent season is about these real people and their ordinary lives. And what God does in extraordinary ways through people that, for the most part, have no idea what's happening. And so I was asked by Adam to to preach today. He said, "You can do whatever you want." Terrible idea. I need parameters. But he said, like, "Just do whatever you want." And so I I began to think. Of, I want to look at the life of one of these characters from the Advent story, and and I want to I want to look. In particular, one of the characters who goes unnoticed in many ways, and and you know, I wanted to look at the life of Joseph. Joseph is 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 there's there's not a lot going on, you know, from a research standpoint. I decided to talk about Moses before or Joseph before I started researching him, and really, there's nothing there. Like there's like I did all this research. It's like oh, nobody knows anything. If you read the beginning of, of Matthew. There's this epic genealogy. Of this person was the father of this person, and then this person was the father of this person. It gets to Joseph, and it's like Joseph was the husband of Mary. That's all you need to know about him. That's all that matters. And so he he gets he gets very little attention, and uh, and did you notice? He, Joseph never speaks a word in the whole Bible, not once. He doesn't say anything. I found out, again, I found all this stuff after I was like, I'm going to do this. And so what could somebody who doesn't speak a word and only has just a handful of stories surrounding his life, what could he teach us? Well, I want to present to you that that Joseph teaches us exactly what we need in this Advent season. So this morning, we're going to look at his life. Uh, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, so we'll be in chapters 1 and 2. The, the Gospel of Matthew gives us the Advent story through the through the eyes and experience, and I would say even the emotions of Joseph. We've been studying the Gospel of Luke for the past um, year or so, and, and Luke gives us these um, these other characters, Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they like break out in song and and prophesy when they hear about what God is doing. Um, but Joseph definitely doesn't start singing. You'll see that. He definitely doesn't break out in prophecy. Again, he doesn't speak a word. He just is trying to figure out what to do next. And I guarantee you, though, if, if we were to sit with with Joseph. If we got the opportunity to sit down and interview him and ask him about his experience, I know he would he would say this. He would say, I was afraid. If we said, Joseph, tell us about this season of Advent, these 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 events surrounding it. Like put it in a word for us. He would say fear. And perhaps that's Your experience in this Advent season, perhaps fear is is a word. If if you were really honest, perhaps fear would be a word you'd use to describe what it means to walk into this season. Maybe it's the fear that comes with the loneliness that we feel around Christmas. Maybe you're traveling this season and you're dreading the interactions, right? You're, You're dreading the the being around these broken relationships that seem like they'll never get repaired. Maybe it's the opposite of loneliness. You're like, I just actually want to be alone in Christmas. And I think that a lot of us are afraid that this whole thing is just going to fly by before we get a chance to capture what we think we want and need in this season. Has that ever happened to you? You get to the end of Christmas and you're like, I thought there'd be And I think many of us are afraid that that will happen. And so we we enter this season with fear. And so what I want to tell you this morning is that if you are feeling fear or anxiety or any sense of dread heading into the Advent season, that you are in really, really good company. And if that is what you feel, you may be positioned to uniquely receive from God his greatest gifts. I believe that's what happens in Joseph's life. Joseph receives from God in the midst of his fear the gift of God's presence and God's guidance. And so we're going to see that this morning as we, as we go through the story of Joseph. It starts in Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 18. We'll look at three scenes from his life. Each scene will have a name for it. Scene one is called, When There's No Easy Way Out. And it starts in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Just we'll pause there for a second. This is a nightmare, okay? I titled this sermon The Nightmare Before Christmas. No, I didn't. (laughs) You looked at your bulletin. You thought I might have done that. I wouldn't do that. But it really is. This is is not good. And I think from a cultural standpoint, it's important that we know some of the things that went along with engagement back in the day. So uh, for some young Jewish teenagers that were engaged, there would be a couple different stages of engagement that they would go through. Uh, The first stage being when their parents would um, match them together to be married. Now, I know you're a Northwest cynic, but just suspend judgment for, for five minutes with me, okay? Uh, so they would, the, this couple would be matched up together. And uh, during this early stage, there was a way out. In particular, if, if, if the girl was not on board with it, she could get out of the engagement. But if, but if they agreed to go to the next stage, which is called betrothal, then their engagement was legally binding which means they would be legally considered to be married, but not in a religious sense. And religious life was a massive part of of Jewish life in the first century. And so what I mean is, is that they would be considered to be married, but without the privileges of marriage. So I'll just spell it out. They wouldn't sleep together. They wouldn't live together. And this is a particularly bad time for someone to get pregnant. And so that is what happens in the story. And we don't get a ton of detail of how. It just says it was discovered that Mary was pregnant. We don't really know um, how that happened. But I I think that we could use our imaginations with this interaction between the two of them when Joseph finds out. This is what I was thinking about this week is what, what happens when Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant? It's like she comes to him and she's like, I'm pregnant, and he's like, uh, who's the father? Like, what, like, what are we doing here? Oh, it's God. Good. So it just, like, it just gets, it just, no, but who says that? Like it, this is, this is the situation that, that he, he finds himself in. And I don't want to say that in any way to be negative about Mary's experience. If you read in the gospel of Luke, <laughs> i mean a shock to her. And, uh, and so everybody's shocked, but, but we're looking at this through the life of, of Joseph, and, and he's trying to adjust to the sort of hand he's been dealt in his life right now. And what happens in our story is we, we learn something about Joseph here that I think is really important when we consider his life. He is described as a just man that's unwilling to put her to shame. That's really important. When we think about the character of this person, Joseph was a just man. What that that means is that he desperately wants to do the right thing. He wants to do the honorable thing. And he's really in between a rock and a hard place here. What is the honorable thing? I imagine he may be thinking to himself, like, I, I can't go into this relationship. He says, this this isn't right. What am I I supposed to do here? We can't walk into this together. So he's thinking about that, but it also describes him as one who's unwilling to put her to shame. Now, there would be a ton of shame around this kind of event in the life of a young couple. And if he divorced her, I guess, loudly, he would be divorcing her and saying, Yeah, she's pregnant, but trust me, I'm not the father. But instead, he chooses to divorce her quietly. And in doing that, he's willing to absorb some of the shame of the situation. He's willing to even have the sin that would be linked to this event fall on on his shoulders. Isn't that fascinating? his life, his character, I think, I really became convinced as I was looking at Joseph's life that God found the right man to raise his son because he found someone who was committed to righteousness and yet was committed to compassion and grace and mercy. Does that remind you of anybody that we talk about here every week at our church? I think God found the right man. And so Joseph, what he's doing is he's just, he's He's thinking about it. He's like, what am I supposed to do? This seems to be the only option that he has. But it's in this, I would say, this impossibly confusing situation that God actually shows up with his presence and his guidance. And I want, as I read on, I want you to look for it. Okay, we'll pick it up in verse 20. But as he considered these things, of total confusion, the f- the first thing that God needs Joseph to know, and so he sends his angel to tell him, is that he's with him. That can be the first thing that we forget when we find ourselves in, in chaos or when we find ourselves in a situation where there's no easy way out. We forget that God is actually with us, that he's in this, that he's present. And even more than that, God begins to reveal to Joseph through his word that comes to the angel that he actually saw this long ago. So what Matthew does in in his gospel, and all the gospel writers do this to some degree, is, is they want their reader to know that the story of God in Jesus is uniquely unfolding. And so they'll say things like, that's why the prophet said, and then they'll say something. Well, that's why it was spoken of in this way long ago. What they're wanting us to know, what Matthew wants the reader to know, and I know that he also wanted Joseph to know this, is that God actually saw this, and he's actually guiding these moments. This isn't accidental. He's at work. And so Matthew goes to great lengths to to say this. And that theme of guidance in our life it's really important. When we're looking for guidance, we're, we're looking for someone who has seen this thing that we're walking into, someone who's seen it before, someone who's been there before. Wednesday, I drove to Estacada. Where in the world is Estacada? Like, does anybody? I, I, like, I'm a third of the way there, and I lost signal on my phone. Like, I just, where are we going? And in days of old, Before my phone would tell me where to go, she was faithful. Um, You'd have to ask someone. Have you ever been to Esticada? It's like Nazareth. Like, where in the world is this? Like, how do we get there? And you'd ask for directions. You'd ask for guidance. God shows up in Joseph's life to declare to him that he's with him and that he's seen this long ago. and He will guide him into it. And so that brings us to the end of scene one. And right into scene two, which is, we'll skip down a little bit further in the passage. We'll go to chapter two, verse 13. I'm going to call scene two, running for your life. And it starts in verse 13. Now, now the thing that you need to know is that you won't find the word fear in this portion of the passage. You don't need to see the word there because it becomes infinitely clear right away that this is a terrifying situation. And it centers around this king who had become ruler in the area, who was a jealous king and a murderous king, who heard about a supposed king that was born, and he goes to great lengths to destroy him. Here's what happens. In verse 13... It says this, when they, this is, this is the wise men that Herod tried to use to figure out where the baby was. When the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Again, we don't need the word fear because we have words like rise, flee, depart. We have the word destroy, which which tells us what the intentions of this king actually are. And so Joseph is running for his life. And where is God when we're running for our lives? I've never, I've never run for my life, and I mean this in a literal sense, I've never run for my life, but my best friend did. And a few years ago, my best friend, uh, he lives in our hometown, <clears throat> and there was a very unexpected fire that came into our town. There was no like Twitter announcement that this was happening, there was nothing on the news about it. It, it just came down the hills through just um, really strong winds. And my, my best friend was awoken in the middle of the night. His neighbor was pounding on his door. He opens his door and he looks outside. And the way he described it to me, he says, I thought I was in a war zone. I was in my neighborhood. He said, the, the, the neighborhood's on fire. There's, there's trees that are on fire blowing down my street. And the neighbor's just yelling, you've got to get out of here. So this is the kind of scene where it's like, you're not contemplating what am I supposed to do. You're grabbing your kids and you're running. And so he grabbed his, his family. They, they hopped in his truck and he said, we drove through the neighborhood out as fast as we could. That's, I think, in some ways close. To the, this, is, this is the kind of terror that Joseph is experiencing in the moment. Now, this doesn't really make it onto the Advent Christmas card, does it? But this is what's actually happening. They're, they're fleeing. They're running for their lives. They're refugees. I don't know how that image lands with you, but that's what Jesus was. Our Messiah, yes, who's come to bring peace on earth, yes, the Savior of the earth, but his dad is running for their lives, trying to get them to safety. He will die at some point for the sins of the world, but but not yet. Not here, not now. So where is God when you're on the run? And the truth is, is that God shows up and he guides them to a safe place. Matthew tells us that God actually saw this long ago. Again, we 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 go into these these crazy circumstances when we look at the life of Joseph, and then Matthew again says God saw this, God knew about this long ago, and so he quotes from the prophet Hosea, from Hosea chapter eleven. Hosea in um, Hosea eleven one is is saying. The same thing that we read here in our passage, which is where this section ends, out of Egypt I called my son. And so when Hosea says those words, Hosea is talking about Israel. When when it says my son, he's talking about the people of Israel that God led out of Egypt. Now just think about this with me for a second. In the story of the Exodus, God's people are fleeing from a ruler, Pharaoh, who is trying to kill Israel the sons of Israel and now in, in our story another king is trying to kill the son of God but rather than fleeing out of Egypt they're fleeing to Egypt I imagine that I mean and Joseph knows the story of Israel and, and I imagine he's thinking to himself this is how bad it gets I'm going, we're going Like the theme of the, one of the major themes of the Old Testament is get out of Egypt and God's son has to go back to Egypt. Which must have felt like a massive detour in the plan of salvation, but not for God. Because he was present with them and what he tells them and what Matthew wants us to know in this story is that God saw this. Even in in the chaos, God's guiding and he's leading. He's providing a way. And that is our Advent story. N.T. Wright said this about this passage. He says, before the Prince of Peace has learned to walk and talk, he was a homeless refugee with a price on his head. No point in arriving in comfort when the world is in misery, No point in having an easy life when the world suffers violence and injustice. If he is to be Emmanuel, God with us, he must be where the pain is. And so this second scene, it simply ends with this with 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 Matthew reminding us that this, this terrible situation, even in the midst of that, God's present. And he's leading and he's guiding. We don't sure we're not sure how long they're in Egypt, but it appears that they're there for at least a while. And that brings us to scene three, which we'll call coming home. Now this is verses nineteen to twenty-three. I want to keep reading with you. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, "'Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead.' And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was, what's it say, afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene." So what happens is is Herod, this king, dies. And the angel of the Lord appears in Joseph's life in a dream, and he tells him it's time to go home. And going home, at first, probably feels celebratory, like, this finally, things are getting better. But very quickly, it becomes more complicated because where actually is home for this family? Perhaps it would be Bethlehem where Jesus is born. Joseph, we're told, is, is from the line of David and, and Bethlehem would seem to be the place maybe to go back to. Or perhaps they would, they would go to Jerusalem. This is where the king would reign. This is the holy city. This is where, of course, this would be where they go. But as it turns out, in the region of Judea, which is where Bethlehem and Jerusalem are, there was a ruler named Archelaus, and apparently he's just as bad, maybe even worse than his dad. And so fear creeps in again. It's like, is this, are we going, is there another detour in our life? Joseph is afraid. But it becomes clear that God will show up yet again in his life. It says, when Joseph was afraid, the angel of the Lord appeared to him again. And it it says that he guided them to Nazareth. Of all places, they are guided to Nazareth. And Matthew, as he's done in all the other scenes, is, is very explicit. He wants us to know that even this, even this event is something that God scene and so he says he says this this is very interesting he says the prophet said he would be from Nazareth now in scene one and scene two when Matthew says the prophet said this there's a they'll Probably be a note in your Bible that points to a specific verse. So, in Scene One, when we read about being born of the Virgin and naming him Emmanuel, that is a direct prophecy that goes back to Isaiah. In Scene Two, when uh, when they're called to go into Egypt so that God's Son can come out of Egypt, that is directed to the prophet Hosea. But when Matthew says the prophets said, the prophets said that he would come from Nazareth, the truth is, is that there's no direct prophecy that he's referring to. So that's confusing, right? What could he possibly mean that he'd come from Nazareth when it doesn't explicitly say that? Now, there's there's a number of kinds of prophecies in the Old Testament. There are, um, there's these direct ones that are spoken by, by a specific prophet. But then when it says the prophets, plural, said this, a lot of times what a New Testament writer is getting at is he's getting at the spirit of what they would be saying. He says they're saying something, and it's bigger than just a particular event. And so he uses the word Nazareth, saying that Jesus would be a Nazarene. And all throughout his ministry, Jesus is referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is essentially, it's a derogatory term. Think about maybe the state you're from or the area you're from. There's, there's always a town where they're like, oh, you're from there. <laughs> like, no. Okay, so I'll, I'll, like I'm from that town. I'm from a town called Willow Creek. It's in Northern California. It's 1,500 people. You've never heard of it. People are like, oh, you're from there. So so Jesus is from Nazareth, which doesn't do any good for his PR. In fact, the Gospel of John starts... In the the beginning of the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, Jesus is calling his first disciples. People are becoming impressed with his teachings and they want to know more about him. He calls a disciple named Philip. Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel and he says, hey, you need to meet this guy, Jesus, from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, nothing good comes from Nazareth. That's the general feeling about this town and so... And so why would Matthew say that the prophet said he would be from Nazareth? Well, I think the reason why it says that is because Matthew wants us to know that God has brought his Messiah into the world in the most unlikely way. And even in the most fearful and terrifying circumstances, even in the most mundane ways as well. God said, this is the way I'll bring my son into the world. And all the prophets are saying that. He says, God's going to come into the world. He's going to be present to us. He's going to guide us. But it's not going to be in the ways that we would expect. We'll be surprised We'll find often that we're afraid, but then even in the midst of that, God is with us, and he's guiding us. And that is how Matthew brings the story of Joseph to an end. It's the last thing we hear about him. Luke gives us one other story about Joseph, and it's about when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to Jerusalem, for one of the festivals. This, we we study this in the Gospel of Luke. They bring Jesus to Jerusalem. Do you remember this is when they lose Jesus? He's like 12. It's like they're, they're leaving. It says all this in the, in the Bible. They're leaving, and, and like Mary's like, did you get him? He's like, no, you said you got him. And then there's the marital fight, and the, Jesus is lost and, and, and for days. He's, he's in Jerusalem, and they, they come back, and they find him, and, and Joseph doesn't say anything. Mary speaks for him. That's a theme throughout his life. And... And... Mary says to Jesus, we were terrified. We were afraid. How could you do this? And I share that with you just in case you thought I was making up this idea that every instance of Joseph's life is full of fear. But that's all we get. All we get is Joseph in these, these circumstances where he's overwhelmed, where he's confused, where it's chaotic, where he's terrified. And God says, I'm I'm with you in this. And in mysterious ways, I'm even leading and guiding your life. I saw this long ago. So somewhere in between, when Jesus is about 12 and and 30, Joseph dies. And we don't get anything else from him other than just this, this life that he lived and we, and we see his character, we see his commitment to follow God. But I think that there's two things that, that Joseph teaches us that are so important for us in this Advent season. I want to just leave you with these this morning. The first is this. Advent is about the presence of God in the midst of our fear. It's not the absence of fear, though we wish it was. And it's not always the removal of fear, but it's God's personal presence to us in the midst of that fear. Are you walking into something fearful this season? God is with you. Look for him. The second thing is this. Advent is about how God guides us into the unknown. Maybe unknown is the word that you would describe your life right now. There's maybe you feel like you're in an unexpected detour, like Egypt was for for this family. Like how did how did we end up here? What's going on right now? But what if and I just want to suggest that what if God has you exactly where He wants you? Because what Joseph teaches us is that nothing in our life is ever wasted. Because of the power of God, because of the goodness of God, because of what he is able to do, nothing gets wasted. None of the pain, none of the fear, none of the anxiety. God says to us, I will meet you there and I'll guide you through it. And I love that. God's presence, God's guidance. I think it's a really important theme for us. Matthew thought it was so important that that was the theme he gave us when he started his gospel. And wouldn't you know, it's the last thing he says to us at the end. In what's referred to as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus is giving final instructions to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. And and just listen to these words he says. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that, the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew believes that this is the thing that we need to know when we step into Advent, that God is with us, guiding us, and apparently... It's something we need to know for every season. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that we can hear your voice in this way. You're speaking to us by your word. You're revealing to us your Son, Jesus, Emmanuel, your personal presence on earth, the Son of God. So we thank you for your presence, Lord, but we also thank you that when we look to Jesus, when we look to Jesus for salvation, when we look to Jesus for direction on how to live, when we look to Jesus for hope we find it in him we find that you really are guiding us and so this morning we want to pause and 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 give thanks Lord many of us in, in fearful situations the unknown keep our eyes on Jesus Lord help us to trust him Help us to look to him and it's in his name we pray, amen.